So I think anything is possible uh, as long as you're willing to make a courageous step forward, even though you're feeling the fear. So it's like, feel the fear and do it anyway, as they say, it's true. And then the courage comes from the confidence of stepping outside and stepping into something that feels uncomfortable and being okay with it. Hi, I'm Deb Boulanger, and you're entering a world gone good. Well, hello, and welcome to World Gone Good. My name's Steve, and here we are with another good episode. If you like what you hear, please, yes, do share us with your friends, post our link on your social media, or just open your window and scream at the top of your lungs, have you listened to World Gone Good podcast? Um... We appreciate you sharing, subscribing, rating, reviewing, and screaming at your neighbors for a good reason. This is a good reason, so, you know, maybe they'll appreciate it. Back in 2012, let's go back, okay? I did something good and bold. I quit my job, and I ventured off to start my own company. Um, I'm not going to lie. I had no clue what I was doing. Okay, I had a few clues as to what I was doing and wanted to do, but honestly, not many clues on how to do it all, especially, specifically, how to start. But on the plus side, I had the freedom and the time to do things my way, which is kind of this really powerful thing when you think about it. Today, we're talking the good of self-starting and entrepreneuring. It's not a word. I made it up. Just go with me. Deb Boulanger is a coach, speaker, and retreat leader. She's created and runs The Great Do-Over and Launch Lab. Oh, and she's also a fellow podcaster. Um, If you're ready to take the leap, this is the woman to talk with and work with and leap with. So as long as we're leaping, let's leap on in. Well, I'm so excited to have you here with me because we are fellow podcasters and we are fellow entrepreneurs, even though my story is a little bit different because I was in corporate America, left corporate America, and my old job called me back and said, do you want to come back? And I said, yes, on my terms. And they said yes, which I don't think I would have been able to do had I not gone off and done my own thing. But we're going to get to later about me who cares about me. I want to talk about you, and I want to start with something that I find fantastic, because at 53, you reinvented your entire life, and I wanted you to speak to my audience, who is constantly looking for the good out there in the world, what that was like. It was an amazing journey of self-discovery, and maybe some of your listeners can relate too. We tend to go on automatic pilot, and maybe it's because we're fulfilling the examples that were set for us in childhood, but you go to college, you graduate, you get a job, at some point you get married, maybe you have a kid or not. And then 25 years later, life kind of catches up with you and you say, wait a minute, what's going on? And it was, that's what was true for me. I had achieved my wildest dreams. I was successful beyond anything I had ever imagined when I graduated from college with an education degree and started teaching special ed. So I ended up being a group vice president for a billion-dollar company, running a $32 million business that I had launched. I was married. I had a 13-year-old son. I was living in the Hamptons. 
And I woke up one day to say, you know, is this all there is? Is, is what am I doing? Who am I? And uh, that kicked off the journey to self-discovery at 53, to reinvention. And here we are. <laughs> I'm sure you want more details than that, but. <laughs> when I was 20, uh, 26, I was doing a job and um, I absolutely hated it. It was, it was, I'll name names. I'm not shy. It was for Warner Brothers in, in Burbank and I, and I was just absolutely miserable. And I was driving toward the building at 26 years old and I looked up at the building and the word quit just formed in my head. And I got in the building and I just thought to myself, I am 26 years old. What am I doing? Like, I don't even like coming here. And I did. I just walked in and resigned with, with like $300 in the bank, which might not have been, you know, the wisest thing in the world. But I had that epiphany then. And then I sort of fell into another world. But it's interesting at 53, I mean, what, what is the fear factor for, I mean, I think I, a lot of people know it because, you know, there's bills and there's health care and there's food. How did fear factor play into making a decision, you know, that point in your life? Well, it's so interesting, and it's interesting, Steve, that you two said, you know, when the epiphany came to you and it was the word quit. And I interviewed two of my clients today on Life After Corporate, and we came to the conclusion that once you get the message that it's time to go, the people that I hang out with and maybe the people you hang out with too tend to act, you know, and fear becomes a luxury. I think it was back in the 90s there was this great TV show called Inside the Actor's Studio with James Lipton, and he was interviewing Harvey Keitel. And at that time, I was living in Tribeca and in New York City, and which is a crazy, wonderful neighborhood. And Harvey Keitel and Robert De Niro and Eric Bogosian were my neighbors. Uh, John Kennedy Jr. lived across the street. It was just an amazing space in those days. And he said something to the tune of, and I know this isn't a direct quote, but fear is a luxury. And uh, fear is something that doesn't go away, but you really learn to dance with it. And yes, there were bills to pay, but I was a senior executive. I got a package on my way out the door. So it wasn't like I was going to starve. I had some savings and I had some cushion. But most important was that I was no longer willing to sacrifice my life, either in a marriage that wasn't working or a job where I was absolutely burnt out. And I had a 13-year-old kid. And, and middle school can be really tricky for boys and girls. And so I decided that I didn't, I was tired of outsourcing motherhood. And I wanted to really be there for him, especially during a divorce. And then came the epiphany. So how I find, found myself with it was actually on a meditation cushion. So similar to your ride to work and seeing, you know, quit <laughs> on the wall of the building. <laughs> you know, for me, it was reconnecting with who I really was. And that meant jumping off the grid. And so I signed up for a 10 day silent meditation retreat. And mind you, I had never meditated before, but my brother-in-law and sister-in-law had gone on these retreats and they survived. So I thought, you know, if they can do it, I can too. And it was really on the meditation cushion where I got a vision that I was really supposed to be coaching other women in how to reinvent themselves. And, uh, that was, that was the beginning of 
the next phase. So I went on that meditation retreat for two or three years. You know, the first year I let go of my marriage. The second year I let go of my job. And I think part of that was just letting go of fear. That f- oh, yeah. Yeah, fear, fear is, um, you know, we, we make things up. We make things, we give things meaning that they don't have. And once I discovered the work of Byron Katie, if you're familiar with her, she's like, to me, she's like another Buddha. She's the one who teaches us how to question our thoughts. And when you question your thoughts, the things that you're afraid of aren't even true. So it's like, why bother wasting your time? Surrender to the possibility, surrender to the potentiality of something that could be, can I swear? (laughs) No, please. A shit ton of fun and get you out of your comfort zone and create something. And what I love about entrepreneurship in this, this whole pandemic that we've experienced and, and, you know, the shit show that was 2020 is that I was in control. I was in control of my income. I was in control of my impact. Nothing changed Mm -hmm. for me. I was still able to work. I was still able to make a difference in people's lives. Because you were able to take a chance on yourself. Yeah. You call yourself an accidental entrepreneur slash introvert, which I love. (laughs) What is, what is, how do you be, how do you, how are you? someone who goes out there and is an entrepreneur and also an introvert. So I'm a trained extrovert. And <laughs> when I, I'm going to age myself, cause you and I probably have some distance in age here. And when I was, and then you'd be super, I, no, I turned 51 next, next month. I'm not that far behind. Oh, you. okay. So I don't know if you remember a TV show growing up called romper room. Of course. Yeah. So I was in Providence, Rhode Island, and my kindergarten teacher must have selected me because I was I was cute and dimpled and blonde to be on Romper Room, which terrified me because I was always an introvert. I was always painfully shy. All my relatives would say I was so self-conscious and shy. And so here I am on Romper Room, and we're pretending to be airplanes, and the boys are behind me going, vroom, 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 and uh, I fall flat on my face. And I'm mortified. I'm embarrassed. I didn't want to be on the show to begin with. And subconsciously, I think at a, at, as a child of that age, it, was, it wasn't safe to perform in public. You know, it just I'd rather be playing with dolls or coloring within the lines in my pictures um, than to be exposed that way. And I was always extremely shy, even as a senior executive running that $32 million business doing company town hall meetings was painful to me. The anxiety that I would experience, you know, my heart beating through my chest, that self-consciousness was palpable. So I had to get over that. So that's why I say I'm a accidental entrepreneur. I never planned to run my own company. It It never entered my consciousness. I was uncomfortable public speaking and I've been doing webinars for the last eight years till way before Zoom when it was instant teleseminar and I remember my very, very first uh, webinar and I, I pasted pictures of my friends around my office so that I could have people in the room who I trusted, who loved me and wouldn't care if I screwed up. That's absolutely brilliant. Well, you said something interesting before too, because you, you talked about a path and I think it's a very normal path because it's the one that 
so many of us see, you know, you go to school, you go to college, you get out of college, you start a job, you start a family, and then repeat, you know, rinse and repeat. And there's some fear in going off of that path, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. You know, there's fears, uh, especially, you know, I think especially as women in midlife, if you're going to leave a marriage and you're going to, you know, leave the, the joint financial life that you two have built together, there's a risk in that. There's a risk that, you know, maybe I'm too old to date. In fact, it, at one point in my career, I actually coached women who were divorced and starting to date again because I learned how to like game the algorithms on the online dating sites to get better results. <laughs> so, and also it was a matter of you can't find someone to love you more than you love yourself. So there was a lot of coaching involved in, in getting love, but you know, there's fear of leaving a relationship, fear that I'll never find anyone else who love me uh, the way that that person loved me, even if it wasn't good enough. There's a fear of not having enough money and so when I, you know, say surrender, I think there's a lot of self-growth involved in this journey. Um, now I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm, I'm rarely afraid. I mean, you know, if a tiger is chasing me, yeah, I would be pretty damn scared. But for now, um, as long as I show up, as long as I am committed to my mission and purpose, as long as I'm consistent in my delivery and doing what works. And to a certain extent on the business side, that's putting blinders on and not being caught up in the bright, shiny objects and the cookie cutter courses and really keeping to my mission and my vision, then I get to get the results. And, and I, did a, I did a session a couple of weeks ago on how to double your income in the next year and make it be totally predictable, which is exactly what I did this year. Double my income. It was completely predictable uh, by doing the things that mattered and keeping focused on the things that worked. So from a business perspective, I lost my fear about money because I was in control. I could turn on the flow anytime I wanted to because I had learned what worked. Uh, from the relationship side, um, I <laughs> learned how to get game those algorithms, find the love of my life and, you know, living in a space that's, you know, I get all this wonderful support and, and love, and we're growing together in this next stage of our journey. So I think anything is possible, uh, as long as you're willing to make a courageous step forward even though you're feeling the fear. So it's like, feel the fear and do it anyway, as they say, it's true. And then the courage comes from the confidence of stepping outside and stepping into something that feels uncomfortable and being okay with it. Uh, recently, my mom was talking to me and she said she was talking to my sister. My sister's seven years older than me. We're very different people. I adore my sister, um, even if she listens to this or not. Um, and... Uh, they were talking and my mom was saying, oh, we were talking about how successful you are and all your successes and all your successes. And it was a lovely conversation that she was having with me. And then I, she was done. I said, mom, you know that for every success, I failed a thousand times and it wouldn't trade any of those failures because that's where the success came from because I figured it out from failing and falling flat on my face and going, oh, I should have gone this way. Oh, 
man, I spent that the wrong way. And, and I think that sometimes failure is um, where we naturally think we're going to end up. So, you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like so many people um, are almost afraid to fail, but I think there's so much greatness in it not working out the way you expected because you learn so much for the next time. It's so important, Steve, and it's the basic reason why I founded the Launch Lab for Women Entrepreneurs. And because in the corporate world, I was in product development. And if you're in product development in the services space, what are you doing? You're talking to people. You're talking to people, potential clients, about where they're challenged, what they're struggling with, what they wish they had, and pulling together solutions and packaging them as products and pricing them and getting them out in the marketplace with some powerful messaging. And what I found was, and I don't know if this is true for men, so this would be a fun conversation for us to have, but women tend to leave the corporate workforce. You know, they might be newly minted leadership coaches, executive coaches, health coaches, career coaches, you name it, or deciding to pack up, package their IP, their experience, and sell it to the world as a consultant or freelancer. And the first thing they do is focus on their branding, get a beautiful, bright, shiny logo, build a website, and wait for them to come. And it's crickets. Right. And the good news is, I heard this from Eben Pagan, so I, I don't know where he got it, but the, the coaching industry is a $17 billion industry. The bad news is the coaching industry is a $17 billion industry. Right, right. So the, the lack of differentiation and everyone takes these cookie cutter courses that says, you know, here's what you need to do in order to you know, convert 5,000 followers into clients, but it doesn't work that way. And so my basic philosophy is you test, you test before you invest. You can test your business idea before you ever leave corporate to see if you even have a leg to stand on, but you need to create a differentiated strategy. So what I love about the Launch Lab is that we focus on market research first. And I would say probably 30 to 40% of my clients end up pivoting about six weeks in. Like what I thought I was offering is not really what my ideal client wants. And so I'm going to offer something else. Going here, you talk about a love letter that you wrote to yourself that you called the great do-over? Am I getting Here's this right? Here's what's really beautiful about this journey of self-reinvention. Whether or not you go down an entrepreneurial path or not, it's the discovery of who you really are. And minus all the constructs and the implicit and explicit messages that you've received along the way that have shaped your belief about who you really are and your belief about what you're really capable of. So my love letter, I've done many love letters. I used to write in my journal what my ideal love looked like and, and what it felt like to be in that relationship when I was going through the divorce and looking for love again. And what I found is you get what you ask for. And most of the time we don't ask for enough. So women in particular, and, and let's talk about the difference 
is between women and men, but when women tend to undervalue themselves financially, they tend to undervalue their capability, what their time is worth, what their impact is on the world. And so they end up undercharging for their services. And that's why there's this huge wage gap in entrepreneurship where women earn about 30 cents on the dollar to every man. So that's number one, that's one of my missions to change. So, um, the love letter is really a process of journaling on a daily basis and through asking questions, self going through this process of continual self-discovery of who you really are. And sometimes you need to see yourself through someone else's eyes in order to really understand your value and your impact. And that allows you to step in. It's almost like stepping into, if you can imagine the process of stepping from where you are into who you really are and making that a physical journey, that we're so much bigger than we allow ourselves to think. And that, I guess, if I were to sum up this journey for me so far, is that I am so much more powerful. I have so much more impact. I have so much more to give the world, to give relationships than I have ever given myself credit for. On that note, you are quoted as saying entrepreneurship is the new feminist movement. Yeah, baby. (laughs) Speak to that. Well, you know, women still struggle in the corporate constructs to get a seat at the table. I mean, I'm, I can't believe I'm still saying this and it's, it's 20 years later, uh, or 30 years later, but, um, so we struggle. And the reason why entrepreneurship is the new feminist movement is it's your ticket to the C-suite. You're in charge. You're suddenly CEO And it's up to you to make the decisions in your life that enable you to thrive and prosper and make an impact through your work. So I find that the women in my circles who make the decision to leave corporate and go for entrepreneurship want certain things. They want freedom. They want freedom with their time. They want freedom to make an impact and really impact people's lives. And so there's a lot of women who are now doing work in social impact enterprises and they want ultimate control over their financial freedom. So one of my clients, and I was interviewing her on the podcast today, and I remember our very first conversation when she was, she was saying, I just want to break through six figures. I'm at 90. All I want is to get to that extra 10. And, you know, she asked for 10 and got six. So then she was at 96. And finally, she made the leap and she went through the launch lab. And after she did her market research and we understood what the value proposition was that was available to her to fill, and we priced that out, it, I brought out my pricing calculator and there was the model. All you need is 20 clients to pay you $5,000 for this transformation and you're at six figures. And it was really mind-blowing that something that she had strived for an entire career, a financial goal that she had strived to reach for her entire career was now immediately accessible. So that's what I mean by entrepreneurship is the new feminist movement is that you're in the driver's seat, you're in control of your time, you're in control of your money, you're in control of your impact. I think it's the human condition that when we are 
you know, when we are at a certain level and someone else is at another level, that they are above us and we are less. So we accept less. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does for sure. And, um, so the pricing, the pricing equation is, is really interesting. Um, there's another client of mine in the launch lab who is working in an educational institution right now. She's a amazing DEI diversity, equity, inclusion consultant, uh, in demand speaker. And she was, I always encourage my clients to double their prices. I just say, you know, you work with me, you're going to get a raise. You'll find out that you've been way undercharging for your services. And so she got called for a speaking engagement and they said, um, well, how much, how much do you charge? And in her mind, she was thinking 2000. She said, no, screw it. I'm going to say 4,000. And they said, well, our budget was 2000, but let us go back and see what we can do. And sure enough, they came back and they said, 4,000, we got it approved. And so, you know, you have a few of those experiences and it will cure you from undercharging for your services and finding that what you're offering really has significant value. And I think one of the reasons why we undercharge is we think, oh, I'm new at this. When you're not new at this, you had decades of experience and life experience, corporate experience, work experience that has led up to where you are right now. So right now at this stage in my life, I am feeling extremely powerful. I am feeling wise. I am feeling like I have so much value that I can impart to other people that does good in their lives. And so that is what guides me. And, oh, I just wanted to tack on to what you were talking about before that um, all you do is show up and whatever you create that works, stick with it, put the blinders on and be consistent doing that thing. So sometimes we get too creative and we want to launch something else or try a different marketing strategy. If you have something that's returning for you, that's really working, just stick to it. The lesson that I've learned is just leverage your assets, leverage your assets, your content assets, your program assets, your messaging assets. If you look at all the assets that you have, just leverage those over and over again. And I would say too, adding to that, you know, as somebody, again, who had his own company, if you get to the point that they're asking for a bid or how much you charge, they want to work with you. Mm -hmm. Because that's the last part. They didn't open with that, right? It's if you got in there, you got the call, you got the meeting, you got them that far that they're interested. And now that's the last, that's really the easiest part if you think about it, because they're going to spend the money anyway. And they took the time to meet with you and they took the time to speak with you and they want to work with you. They're going to find a way to work with you. Yeah. So, you know, um, finessing that conversation and not always being seduced by, I'm so excited to work with you. So I frequently get people who are all enthusiastic and it's like, Deb, oh my God, I'm so excited to work with you. And a less experienced me would, would say, okay, let's just dive in. Let's talk about what that would look like. But I know better because people do get afraid. At least women I work with are afraid to invest in themselves. It kicks up all sorts of fear that I'm going to spend money or I'm going to not invest wisely. So 
the good process is to still, even though they're so enthusiastic and they're dying to work with you, is to still bring them through this discovery process so that they can understand where they are, what that is costing them, what they're missing out on, where they want to be, and the value of that to them. Without that value-based conversation, there's still a risk that they might walk away and get scared about the level of investment. Well, we are fellow podcasters. You have a podcast. Uh, podcast. <laughs> I may leave that in. You have a podcast. Let's make up. That's our new thing where me and you are going to build. It's a brand new thing. You have a podcast. Pat, let me try this 10 more times. I'm not editing this. You have a podcast called Life After Corporate, the ultimate guide for women making the leap from corporate leader to entrepreneur. And you've talked to some amazing Olympic athletes. Uh, an Olympic athlete. You've spoken to people I love over at the Gold Digger po uh, podcast. I'm obsessed with the Gold Digger podcast. Um, what is podcast life life for you like? And how did you, when did you, because you're about 38, 39, 40 episodes mm -hmm. in. Um, so it, are you putting one out a week? And how did you dive into it yourself? When did you make the, the leap over into that side? It just seemed like my next frontier. Um, I think here's the real truth. I don't like going live on social media. It's just like a whole hair and makeup thing. And I don't like what I, what I look like. I don't know what to say. And truthfully, I like to think about what I'm going to say, thinking about what would make this interesting? What's a unique perspective? What's a different way of looking at this problem and providing a unique solution? And so podcasting was just a natural for me. All I had to do was get a good microphone and create good content. And I didn't have to worry about whether I was quaffed or not. So truthfully, that was my primary motivator. And <laughs> I just, I fell in love with the medium. I fell in love with the intimacy of podcasting that you don't have when you're uh, going live on social media. So it's not like someone's browsing by, sees my image and stops by for four seconds. Podcast listeners are committed to, usually committed to the full episode, committed to getting more from you. And then the podcast routine of publishing an episode every week and people waiting for it because they're subscribers and they're, they're excited to consume your content is amazing. And I have had incredible, incredible guests on the show. I've had um, Paige Lawrence, who you're referring to, competed in the 2014 Olympics. Paige was a client of mine in the Launch Lab. She's an excellent, excellent leadership and executive coach. Um, and Kate Luzio, the founder of Luminary, who left a very lucrative job in banking to self-fund her community startup. And Barbara Hewson, who was previously known as Barbara Stanny, who wrote the book, Overcoming Under Earnings, Sacred Success. And she and I have a conversation about women and money. So the podcast has also given me a platform for communicating some of the concepts and ideas that I have about entrepreneurship and marketing that are counterintuitive, that are different from what you typically hear from entrepreneur coaches or marketing coaches out there. So uh, I've loved that as a stage for my own thinking. Um, we're going to wrap this up. I ask three questions. You know all the answers. I'll ask the easiest one first. 
where do people find you? Where do people get more from you? And how to people out there join the launch, women out there join your launch lab? So Life After Corporate Podcast is the first stop on this journey. If you are already... If you already know you want more community and connection around this journey, there's a Life After Corporate Facebook group that is free for you to join. And there's lots of goodness, free training in there and first dibs on anything new that I produce. And if you're interested in the Launch Lab uh, directly, I have an assessment that will give both of us some insight into where you're, you're set up for success and where you need to focus your sights on improving gaps in your strategy or gaps in your market. And that is launchlabassessment.com. Okay. Two last questions. They can um, reflect back to anything we've spoken about today or anything you want it to be. First question, who inspires you? Who inspires me? Anyone who is willing to be vulnerable and share their truth and do something that scares them. And finally, easy question, tell me something good. That despite everything that has happened this year, the pandemic, the political climate, that we've gone the extra mile to create relationship, to create closeness within our families and within our communities. And there has been an exceptional amount of support that has poured out in a situation where we haven't been able to gather in person. Thank you, Deb, for such a good talk. You can visit her website, thegreatdoover.com, for more info on starting your own business. And check out her podcast, Life After Corporate, wherever you pod, like where you are podding right now. Next time on World Gone Good. If, you know, this conversation is anything, it's to not be afraid to, you know, if there's someone in your in your life that you love that you might be able to help by giving whether it be a kidney or some liver tissue, whatever, whatever it is, um, it's a really good thing to do. My good friend Kathleen O'Grady gave one of her own kidneys to her own brother. We are going to be talking the good of family, friendship, and sacrifice. It's going to be a really good one, and I'm really excited because I just adore Kathleen, and you will too. I hope you'll join me. Until then... Be good.